Welcome everyone to This Must Be Pop. Now this episode is Lizzie's favorite boy band, One Direction. This is my time to shine. I have been waiting for this moment since the minute the podcast was born. We had a lot of fun with this one. So we started off talking about One Direction and their beginnings. And then we dove deep into conspiracy theories surrounding the band, social media, social issues that they've been involved in. And we also went on a deep dive into all of five of their albums that they've released. And then we also talked about the solo careers of each of the members. So it was a super fun episode and we hope you all enjoy. We did an extensive deep dive into, you know, some of their best songs, what we think are their best songs, just some of the One Direction best moments. If you are a One Direction fan, if you are thinking about being a One Direction fan, even if you're like, no, I'm not a One Direction fan. This episode is for you. You will find something that you love. And if you're like, hmm, I need a little bit more convincing, don't worry. I have made you a Spotify playlist called Lizzie's Essential One Direction Playlist. It's the Essential One Direction listening experience. Yes. And we will link that in the show notes so that it's easy for all of you to find. And we hope you enjoy this episode. I am so excited for this episode, and I have to say, I was not expecting to be this excited about this episode, because I admittedly am not a One Direction fan, but I feel like in this research, I have since become one. Everyone (laughs) becomes a One Direction fan once they get to know One Direction. (laughs) I have been waiting for an excuse to talk about One Direction since they went on their, quote, permanent hiatus, end quote. In 2015, I have been waiting for this moment for years, so I am ready to talk. (laughs) So I guess we can kind of start with the basics of how One Direction came to be. So they started on the X Factor. Yes, they do know. (laughs) Yeah, they started on the X Factor in England. They each auditioned separately, so none of them knew each other going into this. They all just auditioned for the X Factor and. Sadly, each of them were rejected before Simon Cowell brought them all back and put them together to form One Direction. Legend has it, it took him less than 10 minutes to come up with that idea, which is impressive because it takes me more than 10 minutes to figure out what I'm going to have for dinner. (laughs) And yet he took 10 minutes to create the world's biggest boy band. They got eliminated from the solo section, but then they were able to go on to the group section. Yeah, so they were eliminated as soloists, but he put them together as a group and was like, go forward as a group. Okay. Which is definitely, it has its challenges. I mean, imagine like you're one person and they're like, okay, you now have to work with these four people. Like that's the ultimate group project, right? All of your hopes and dreams are hanging on these other four people who you met literally five minutes ago. (laughs) You're like, I hope you're, I hope you're good people. I don't know you, but I mean, It came together really well. They came in third in the show. They were arguably the first boy band to gather and maintain success. Have there been other boy bands on The X Factor that have been formed? Uh, I don't know about boy bands. I know girl bands. Little Mix was formed the, the following year. Okay. So definitely not the first time that a band was formed on that show. 
I'm not sure in terms of boy bands, but you know, even though they came in third on the show, it's very fair to say all of their real success came after the show. I don't think they're staying up late at night going, oh, I wish we'd won the X Factor. (laughs) What I want to get into, and I know you talked about this on our first episode, is your experience in England and seeing the rise of One Direction. Yes. So I studied abroad in London in the fall of 2011. One Direction was fresh off finishing off their third place finish in the X Factor, and they were just sort of launching themselves into society, so to speak. I want to say that What Makes You Beautiful was released in mid-September of 2011, which is when I landed in London. And so, you know, because they are British and Irish, I think they kind of started out at home first. They were everywhere. They were on the radio. They were just everywhere. (laughs) Like, I don't know how else to describe it other than they they weren't and then they were. So... I've been thinking about this a lot since our first episode, but basically your experience is our generation's equivalent to being an American in the height of Beatlemania. Yeah. And I I know that there are so many people our age that look at videos during that time and they're like, wow, it would have been so cool to have been in England while the Beatles were rising to mm-hmm. success and while the Beatlemania was at its height. You basically got to experience that Mm -hmm. just with a different band. And what's so interesting to me is how legitimized the Beatles have become, even though they really started off and have always been a boy band. Mm -hmm. So I I feel like a lot of Americans kind of have this nostalgic or the Beatles have just there. There's just a different mentality towards the Beatles in comparison to every other boy band. Yeah, I mean, we talk about Beatlemania and you instantly conjure up the images of screaming young girls, which is what you would also think about when you talk about the boy bands of today and of the 90s. But honestly, most of the Beatles fans I know currently are like 50, 60 year old white cisgendered male. Right, yeah. (laughs) Which is definitely a distance from where they started. Right. And I feel like that same fan base tends to kind of look down on the hysteria of current boy bands like oh, I can't believe you're losing your mind over a band um <laughs> the band that you love did that too they inspired that same hysteria Beatlemania Bieber fever One Direction infection like it is it is a thing wait I didn't realize it was called One Direction infection that's amazing <laughs> I don't know I don't think it quite caught on as much as like Bieber fever it's definitely a term I've heard One Direction infection you know you have such a unique experience especially as being an American there mm-hmm. and having this kind of you know, a lot of people associate England as being very similar to the U.S., but you, of all people, know it's it, it really is a different country with a different culture. And yeah. You still feel like a fish out of water there. Oh, definitely. And I feel like being in London, which is so, so, so much bigger than any city I had ever experienced. I mean, we are East Coast based. We are Boston we are Boston gals on this pod and Boston is so much tinier compared to London. And then you go to London, which is like this cultural epicenter and you have these boys plastered on buses and you hear their songs everywhere and they're being, you know, promoted as doing autographs at cell phone stores. And it was just so weird. They were just everywhere. And it's wild 
that they were so accessible, but it's because I was at the beginning. A year later, they were not doing autographs in cell phone stores. They didn't even have to really advertise on buses anymore either. It was just, they, I was there for the very beginnings. So when you came back to the United States Mm -hmm. that summer, was One Direction big at that time? Because that would have been the summer of 2012, right? Yeah, it would have been the summer of 2012. I think they were well on their way. I still think they were making their way across the ocean still. But I know that, I mean, I graduated college in 2013. And my sister got me tickets to their arena tour. So they were already doing an American arena tour by 2013. Okay. So... From being essentially launched into society in 2011 and signing autographs at cell phone stores to a year and a half later, performing a worldwide arena tour is an absolutely insane trajectory. Crazy. I feel like this is a natural progression to get into social media and the role that it had to One Direction success. Yeah, I think you can probably make a pretty strong argument that they're really the first boy band to gather and maintain success during like our modern social media era. Naturally, I, when I heard about One Direction, I immediately went to Twitter because we were in that, that Twitter era back when 2011 Twitter was a fun time. Yes, it was. It was when Twitter was fun. (laughs) And I, I mean, I immediately followed uh, Zane, Harry, Niall, Liam, Louie, One Direction official account. I want to say they all had less than like 500,000 followers. Now they all have well over, they're in the millions. Oh yeah, multi-millions. And so it's weird to watch them. I remember watching their numbers climb and thinking, wow, it, it, it was a direct correlation to their popularity in my mind. When they hit a million, I remember being like, wow, they're really popular now. But yeah, it, it's just really interesting to see how social media has really I think kind of propelled them. So One Direction and social media, I think very much go hand in hand. They were both, you know, born and really started getting its legs the way that we know social media in this, you know, 2011, 2012 era. You know, you started getting those Harry Styles fan accounts, One Direction updates accounts on Instagram, on Twitter. They would tell you where... The band was, um, which is kind of crazy because imagine like just having your location tweeted out to millions of people and then they show up. I guess it was never that hard to figure out maybe where they were staying based on, you know, oh, I know they're playing in at this arena. They're probably nearby, but, you know, people would see them and then tweet out, oh, they're at the Nike store here. And next thing you know, they're flooded with fans. And I think the internet really fueled their kind of image because they they could get pushed out anywhere. Anyone could find them at any given moment and show up. And then people would be like, well, what's this hysteria about? You Google, oh, One Direction, what's this about? And then you Google that. And I think people also really bonded over social media about One Direction. I mean, you still see it today. I mean, there's still an account called did One Direction reunite today? 
I follow it because it's really funny. Niall follows the account and the running joke on Twitter is that's how Niall's going to find out that there's a One Direction reunion. <laughs> that's cute. <laughs> it's adorable. <laughs> and, you know, they'll usually end every day by being like, no, there wasn't a reunion. <laughs> but when Niall was spotted at um, Harry's show in London about a week or two ago, the account was like, no, but Niall and Harry were spotted at the same place. And Niall was also at Louis' show. Yes. So cute. And it's just so sweet to see how, I mean, even six years after, six or seven years after we got that permanent hiatus message. I mean, there are still people who take the time to daily update the world. No One Direction reunion today. Sorry, everybody. It's so interesting that they really defined what it's like to have a fandom during the social media era and I feel like other bands after that Mm -hmm. even bands that came before them their fandoms really got involved in social media just because that was just the natural progression of social media groups started accounts started where people were able to connect and I feel like especially with nostalgia at an all-time high right now. New Kids on the Block fans, NSYNC fans, Backstreet Boys fans kind of found a way to connect with one another. And it probably just helps the cause of them being a little bit more in the spotlight. And it also it also helps One Direction throughout their career too. It helps a campaign certain songs yes. to become singles, which was really interesting. Another thing that's super unique about One Direction, and what's interesting is we just did the NSYNC episode. One Direction, they really redefined so many ways, so many rules that boy bands adhere to. One of the biggest ones is that NSYNC Backstreet Boys back in the day, they were so apolitical. And One Direction were brave enough to take a stance on certain social issues, like LGBTQ issues, climate change, And they even had their own section of the fan base called the Rainbow Direction, Mm -hmm. which I think is so great. And they also, I don't know if they purposely did this, but one thing that I did notice is they don't use girl everywhere in their songs. (laughs) (laughs) Like they don't use a lot of like gendered terms. Like there's some songs that absolutely do, but even What Makes You Beautiful is a gender neutral song. Mm -hmm. So it's just it's just really interesting and I don't know if that's more of like a societal shift or if that was something that was conscious that they were doing yeah I think they very much took it as okay we're a boy band fine we're doing it on our terms we're not going to dance we're not going to wear matching outfits we're not learning traditional choreography we're going to have tattoos and we're going to do this and we're going to do that but at the same time, I think there were still a lot of invisible rules that we didn't see. Harry Styles has talked about this a little bit about how like they had clauses in their contracts, you know, saying if they did anything, I think his wording was unsavory, then everything they had had up to that point would be gone. What's, what's unsavory mean? That is mm-hmm. such a loose definition. Yeah. And so it, it can just be tough. You know, they still had an image to maintain. They still had a young audience to market to so they couldn't get too too wild but I think their management was very smart about knowing who their audience was and kind of playing to that Mm -hmm. if that makes sense and I don't want it to sound like it was a calculated move to support LGBTQ rights because I think all of these boys genuinely care Mm -hmm. about those issues but I also think it was a sign of the times Mm -hmm. and 
a marketing decision of, yeah, it, we'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. We know it'll it'll reflect well. Yeah. And I mean, doesn't it make more sense to gather more sales by being a little bit more inclusive mm-hmm. <laughs> so that other people other than women can identify to your songs? Like, Yes, they had nothing to lose and everything to gain. Yeah. And I think management saw it as that. It will, it will only benefit us to be inclusive. Right, right. But it's just so interesting to see One Direction shows, like videos of One Direction shows. There's pride flags everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I could not picture Backstreet Boys and NSYNC doing the same thing. And obviously Lance Bass didn't come out until after NSYNC disbanded or went on hiatus or whatever you want to call it. But you, I, I like that was just not in our, like Will and Grace wasn't even, <laughs> was only like in three seasons in during that time. Yeah. So. <laughs> I think also, you know, and we're talking, you know, this is going back to the social media aspect of it. We've talked before on this podcast about find people who match your crazy. Yep. Social media lets you do that. Mm. You know, you can mm-hmm. search One Direction fans on Instagram or Twitter and find update accounts, accounts run by other fandoms. And you can really bond with those people, even if you've never met, because you have that shared interest. We are very fortunate that we found our boy band loving comrade in arms mm-hmm. in real life. But that can be really hard if you feel like you're the only one who really likes this band and you just need an outlet to talk about it. And social media and the Internet gave them that option at the exact time that they were happening. Yeah. So, you know, that's the positive part of the social media aspect. There is definitely a negative side to the whole social media thing, including conspiracy theories. And we're not a gossipy podcast. However, I think that it is important to kind of talk about conspiracy theories and how social media really kind of aids them so much and these conspiracies are still going strong six years after the band has officially i mean broken up i mean we can keep saying the word hiatus i don't know how long this hiatus really is guys i mean that welcome to hiatus is just a fancy word for breakup right (laughs) it it, it's really just become a joke when it comes to boy bands like Mm -hmm. nobody like is NSYNC still on hiatus? They are technically still on hiatus 20 years later. <laughs> and that does not by definition a hiatus, guys. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, this is a full on, this is a break. But yeah, I mean, you can very easily find any of these conspiracy theories. They still have very strong fandoms going. The Directioners fandom kind of fragments into the people who believe these conspiracy theories, the people who don't believe them, the people who are like, I don't believe it, but you got some good evidence. And the people who are like, there's, there's a conspiracy. What's happening. I'm here for the music. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, the fact that if you look, you, you can really just Google it and there's Buzzfeed articles galore about this, but the, the time that some people take to dive so deep into these conspiracy theories is just, it's insane. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, 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 One Direction is certainly not the only artist to be subjected to this. I have heard crazy conspiracy rumors and theories about other artists as well. So it, it's definitely not just a One Direction thing. It, I think it's more of a social media thing mm. because you find somebody else who says, oh, my God, I thought the same thing. And mm. next thing you know, you got two, three, four, ten thousand people 
And next thing you know, you're on the front page of BuzzFeed talking about whatever conspiracy theory yeah. it is. Yeah, that is true. Because I feel like the Jonas Brothers have gotten a fair share of conspiracy theories. Oh, for sure. Them. You can find anything you need to know by Googling One Direction conspiracy <laughs> theories and you can spend your own, you can form your own opinions. Yeah. Uh, go down those rabbit holes on your own time and then come back and let us know. <laughs> <laughs> you feel free to email us or reach out to us on Instagram. <laughs> We're always curious to see what other people think. <laughs> um, but it's definitely a hallmark of social media i think you've made it when you've got a conspiracy theory made about you do we want to specifically mention any of the conspiracy theories by name or do we want to just like gloss over it and let people figure it out um i feel like just kind of the general talk about conspiracy theories i think it's fine i don't know if we need to go specific i don't think we need to talk about specifics okay actually there is one conspiracy theory that i do want to mention because i feel like there's like a social I feel like there's like a social take that we can take on this one okay. and it's Larry. Yeah. For people who I guess don't know Larry, Larry is a mashup of the names Louie and Harry. And the conspiracy theory is that they are a couple based on, you know, the videos of them being friendly with one another. Yeah. Just um, joking. Like around. on a set. Yeah. It's, it's jo- them joking around kind of that embracing, hugging. So, I'm not here to say whether or not Larry is <laughs> is a conspiracy theory or, or a legitimate theory or not. One thing that, and like I said, I am not a One Direction fan. I am coming into this as someone from an outsider's perspective looking in. And from what I can see, I, I see a society that looks down on two men that are really good friends and show some sort of intimacy whether or not that's a romantic intimacy or not it doesn't matter but the fact that we as a society think that it's strange that two men are hugging embracing just poking fun of each other we assume that there is something romantic by it but when in reality our society western culture has not really seen that kind of play out on that big of a stage so there t- kind of is a toxic masculinity reasoning behind the whole Larry conspiracy theory. Very much so. It is not our business whether or not they were a secret couple. And On this podcast, we do not speculate about no. people's relationship status or their sexuality. sexuality. We do not con- we do not mess around with guessing about that because it is one eight hundred none of our business. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> People don't know what to do when they see two men being affectionate with one another. Their mm-hmm. minds automatically go to they're hiding in the closet. They This is a secret relationship. They're being forced to keep it secret when, I mean, they might just really enjoy hugging and being more affectionate. Did you ever watch Scrubs? I did not. Okay. So for the listeners, if you ever watch Scrubs, so Donald Faison and Zach Braff on Scrubs have the absolute cutest, sweetest, heterosexual male relationship. And they're constantly hugging, embracing, like they're adorable. (laughs) And it's such a good display of two straight men that are just so in love with each other but not in a romantic way they're just like best friends it's such a great display of two straight men that are just like yeah we just love each other oh mm-hmm. my god we just want to spend every minute we just, like i'm gonna hug him i'm gonna yeah you know i'm gonna i'm gonna show my affection to this person so and, and women are allowed to 
you know, hug their friends. You can rest your head on your friend's shoulder. You can kind of like cuddle up to them in a platonic way if you're in a car ride, like, you know, and nobody's like, oh, they're in a secret relationship. Mm. So it, it definitely is that element of toxic masculinity. We're supposed to end friendships with like, you know, slapping bro hugs and maybe a high five and that's it. Mm. And anything above and beyond that is evidence. But we don't we don't speculate on that here. Mm-mm. It Mm-mm. is what it is. Mm-hmm. So let's get into the One Direction members, their vocal ranges, their tones and their styles, <laughs> including Harry's styles. <laughs> <laughs> so one thing to note about One Direction is they all sing predominantly around the same range. There are some variances, though. So we've got Harry, Harry Styles, and he is he switches in between a baritone and a tenor. He has a two and a half octave range. And Harry's vocal style is... Oh, I just love Harry. <laughs> I could listen to Harry Styles sing his grocery list, and I would be a happy girl. <laughs> he has such... So I watched his X Factor audition and you could just tell right away. I was like, he is just taking over the stage right now. Yeah. And it's, and it's so interesting. So I'm a Harry Styles fan as a solo artist and to see the progression that he's made from, you know, the, 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 his beginnings from the X Factor stage to now it's, it's, it's like, he's a different person. How he's grown is just insane. And I love that he still sings What Makes You Beautiful on his tours. Like he sang it when he headlined Coachella. He sings it on Love on Tour, which is his current tour. And I love that you can see how strong his vocals have gotten. And mm-hmm. he he makes it sound like his own song. And it's so funny to go back and listen to when they first were performing it all the way to now and just I feel like a proud mama bear. I'm like, oh, you've grown up so much. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And his voice, it's perfect for a more like rockish sound. I feel like Mm -hmm. a lot of these guys in One Direction have a really good rock voice. Harry has a lot of power. Yes. And what I think is really cool about One Direction is each of these guys, they bring something different to the table. And I kind of feel this way about Niall too. So Niall is... Niall has a really wide range and I don't think a lot of people realize this but his range is actually similar to Zane's so Niall is both a baritone and a tenor and he also has a really nice falsetto he has a three octave range just like Zane does I love Niall's voice Niall's voice is so beautiful I just and and to just kind of listen to the progression of his voice throughout One Direction's career it got so much better each record that they made mm-hmm. oh it's so good and you can hear little hints of his irish accent coming through which i just i think it adds like something extra probably because i'm a basic american who doesn't <laughs> get to hear that every day but it's just so cute you know to hear it like slip in there and you know i, I think niall has the kind of voice where he can just sit there with an acoustic guitar and sing and mm-hmm. captivate an audience he he does not he he's very much i think an acoustic guy and i think his voice suits that mm. his voice is perfect for rock 
Yes. And I love that he plays the guitar. Yes. He always had his little, I call it the Britney headset, like the one (laughs) that leaves his hands free so that he could play guitar on One Direction shows. He played electric, acoustic. He was happiest with a little guitar in his hand. Yeah. I totally can see the appeal because Niall is your favorite as of now, right? Yeah. Well, uh, it's It's like like trying to choose a favorite child. (laughs) I love Harry Styles and I love Niall Horn and they're just so unbelievably different that I can't pick one because I love them in such different ways because they they don't even compete in the same category in my opinion they're both just male artists they have such different styles and I know we're going to talk about the different directions of one direction Mm -hmm. in a little bit but their musical styles are so different that it doesn't feel like they're trying to infringe or compete with one another as much as they are just adding their own unique voices to the array of musicians we have to listen to. Yeah. I just have to say, I I think Niall's voice is the one that surprised me the most, you know, after listening to all this, because obviously I knew Harry and I knew that Zane had an incredible voice, but I, I was really blown away by both Niall and Louis, but we'll get to, we'll get to Louis. Legend has it that Niall was first discovered by his aunt in the car. She thought it was the radio singing and it was him. Oh, that's so cute. (laughs) Okay. So the next is Zane and Zane is technically a tenor. He's got, he's also got a three octave range, which is very impressive. Also has a really nice falsetto. And he kind of weaves between both the high and the low harmonies, which I think is really cool. Appreciate a weaver on this podcast for sure. He's the... He's our guy when you need a very strong high note, Mm -hmm. Zane's hitting that. They kind of remind me of the Backstreet Boys because Zane kind of reminds me of Brian from the Backstreet Boys because he's got that soft, smooth, silky voice. Mm -hmm. But then Harry comes in with all of the power notes, Mm -hmm. like AJ. So... They're kind of playing off their strengths with the their songs. And you can see that with the between the dynamic between Zane and Harry. Yeah, Zane's is more of like a smooth power and Harry's is more of like a growly power. Yeah, that is yes, that's that's a great way to put it. One thing that I forgot to mention about Zane, and I don't know if I'll keep this in or not, but one thing that just as a former stage performer, one thing that immediately stuck out to me, and Zane has a beautiful voice. Mm-hmm. But Zane's stage presence, it's kind of awkward. Like, it looks like he does not want to be there. And I don't know if that's just his anxiety and that's just how he projects himself. Mm -hmm. But he constantly looks miserable and it breaks my heart. Yeah, I mean, he's talked a lot about how he has stage anxiety. He's talked about being just, like, kind of a shy person. Mm -hmm. I think he's also... I mean, Maria Sherman talks about this in her book, Larger Than Life, how there's the shy one Mm -hmm. in every band, Mm -hmm. which... Has its own set of, I mean, racial right. undertones. Right. The one person in the group that's a person of color. They're like, ooh, the mysterious shy one. Right. They really? try to make them more of like an outsider. Yes. And not like the heartthrob. Mm-hmm. Because both AJ and Howie were not considered the heartthrobs. Yeah. So, okay. The boys. And this is according to Maria Sherman's Larger Than Life. <laughs> you have the heartthrob, the bad boy, the cute one the responsible one, and the shy one. And she says, and I quote, at worst and most frequently, it's a racist demarcation used to describe the only person of color in an otherwise white group. Mm. And I think there's a difference between Zane being shy and being labeled the shy one. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. I do think he probably suffered the most from 
stage fright, stage anxiety. I think he kind of was like, I don't know how I got here. Mm. I auditioned for a show and now millions of people know my name and I don't know how I got here. And that's always the sense I got is that he'd be perfectly happy to just record an album and not have to deal with the fame aspect of it. That's always the sense I got. Mm -hmm. But yeah, he definitely has an interesting stage presence. He's not like... He's not like Louis. He's not and shimmying Harry. around stage. He's right. kind of in his own little corner. Right. And then now we've got Louis. And Louis Tomlinson. Louis has become my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's because I always have a thing for the underdog of the group, but I absolutely love his voice. So Louis is technically a high tenor. He has he's usually singing the highest harmonies mm-hmm. of the group, which I didn't realize cuz he kind of has a very unique voice and it's kind of huskyish and usually people that have huskier voices tend to have a lower range, but no, he has the highest range out of everyone in the group. He has just so much texture mm-hmm. in his voice and yeah. I don't know how else to describe it other than it is dripping with texture and it adds so much. I don't think you're going to have the same one direction harmonies without Louis's voice. Louis also kind of reminds me of AJ because AJ really has a lot of texture to his voice. And without AJ and the Backstreet Boys, the Backstreet Boys would not have their sound. So he has a two and a half range, which is which is very respectable. His voice is also really similar to a lot of the lead singers of the indie rock bands of that yeah. time. So I think that's why I really like his voice is because it really, especially when you kind of progress in their albums, you see the kind of indie and alt rock influence in their sound. And Louis, it makes so much sense why Louis's voice is featured a lot more. Both Louis and Liam, I feel like really, especially the last couple of albums, took the reins on the songwriting too, which was really yes. cool. So the last is Liam. So Liam's a baritone. He's got a two and a half octave range. Liam also weaves between the high and the low harmonies, which I think is pretty cool. I really like Liam's voice. I think out of all the One Directioners, I think Liam has the most control of his voice. Yeah, Um, I can see that. He does a really nice falsetto as well. Yeah, that's right. He does. When they started, I feel like Liam had the strongest vocals out of all of them because Liam is the oldest, correct? Louis is actually the oldest. Oh, that's right. Louis is the oldest. But I think Liam had the most experience. He had auditioned for The X Factor before. That's right. That's um, right. He definitely, this was not his first rodeo. Right. One thing that I definitely noticed, and especially after listening to all their albums back to back to back to back, is that Liam's voice didn't really progress like the other guys' voices did. Like I could see huge progression in Harry's voice. Niall's voice and Louis's voice. Zane was always consistent, mm-hmm. but and Liam was always consistent. But I didn't really hear much of a progression with Liam's voice. It, but it was always really good. But it just never got better than what he had. If that makes any sense, it's kind not, of like how to be most improved at something, you had to be kind of bad at it first. Yeah, yeah, and and that's not saying anything against Liam. No, or his he voice was at all, he was but, good, and he became very good. But that is a difference between you know started out. okay and the jumps are very good i don't know i agree with you though i mean he's the first line you're insecure i'm not singing this (laughs) um like but he's like you know those first lines of you're insecure from what makes you beautiful i don't hear a huge difference on their last album from that first song whereas harry and niall and louis voices i hear more of a a jump i think they all learned how to use their voices and i mean it was like doing P90X. 
for your vocal cords. Really? Five albums in five years plus at least four tours. I mean, I don't know how you're, it... you're singing a lot. So at the very least, you're rehearsing your vocals all the time. And you're working with renowned experts to learn how to control it and how to get exactly the sound you're looking for. Mm. I mean, and the other thing too, especially after listening to all their songs, their songs are just insane with the power vocals. Like they're always like, it's almost kind of reminds me of um, Queen a little bit. Mm -hmm. Their songs are meant to be played in a stadium or in an arena with a lot of people just singing their hearts out. I sing my heart out in my shower. Does that count? (laughs) No, but I'm saying like the the amount of power that's in each of their songs, whether it's a ballad or a more mid-tempo or up-tempo song, like they are just singing their hearts out like to Mm -hmm. full capacity. Yeah, they don't hold back. They're at 110% on every single song. There's not a song that you're like, oh, a nice low energy ballad. (laughs) Even their ballads, you're like, whoa, they went hard on that one. I think that kind of is a sign of the times, though. (laughs) (laughs) But I I feel like a lot of the music during that time, it was very big. It was very loud. It was meant to be played live. It was meant to have a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. you, You know, like we've said on the first episode, boy band music it mimics the rest of the sounds that you're getting within the pop industry during that time. Mm -hmm. And it is so 2010, like this band is so 2010s. It's insane. I know. (laughs) I know. I I definitely agree. These songs are meant to be sung in stadiums and arenas in a crowd screaming your little heart out. And that's exactly what you get. I mean, I think, you know, when we're, Maybe this is a good segue into uh, talking about Up All Night, their first Mm -hmm. album. I mean, I think the two words we used were big and loud. Yeah. Big loud. Yeah. And not in like a we're shouting at you way. These songs were like, we're here. Listen to us. Yeah. Okay. You might know the answer to this question, but why are their albums so long? Because they're gods who love us. (laughs) No, but but really like 18 songs for an album that came in, that came out in what, 2011 or 2012? Is it 2011 or 2012? I feel like I'm getting different years depending on Uh, whatever I... Up All Night came out in late 2011. Okay. Um, Or at least it did in the UK because that's when I got it. I brought brought physical CDs back with me to the States. (laughs) It might've come out a little later in the States, but in um, the UK it was released either late November, early December of okay. 2011. Okay. That makes sense. But the, but the thing is albums during that time and now they have like 10 songs. Mm-hmm. So this is really like two albums in one. Yeah. And I will say that's like their super deluxe album that included like the, the deep cuts. I don't have my physical CD on me where I can uh, look up the, Trackless, but I remember the trackless being smaller. But now on Spotify, I feel like their default is to just give you the deluxe version. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I want to say I discovered like moments in another world after. Okay. And like listening to terrible audio on YouTube because I didn't have <laughs> the CD that had them. Yeah. So for the listeners, so we are going to go through each One Direction album and we are picking one ballad one up-tempo song, and then another song that we just wanted to talk about. So three songs from each of the albums. And if you've ever thought to yourself, 
but I just want a playlist full of what a One Direction expert thinks of as the essential One Direction songs. Don't worry. Your girl Lizzie has you covered. If you go on Spotify and search for Lizzie's Essential One Direction playlist, you will find all of the songs that I think are the most essential One Direction songs for you to listen to. And we will link it in the show notes so you don't have to search for it. (laughs) Up all night, the overall feel of the album being upbeat, positive, very early 2010s, a lot of synth, big and loud, up-tempo songs. It's just overall just super fun. So we're going to talk about what makes you beautiful. And this is really the defining One Direction song. It's going to be a forever classic. We're going to be hearing it on the oldies station. So just buckle up if that makes you uncomfy. <laughs> I feel like this is probably one of the best written boy band songs because it, it it encapsulates everything that a typical boy band song has. It starts off with a guitar. It's got a lot of synth. But they throw in a cowbell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I just think it's like one of those songs where you recognize it immediately from those first few beats. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. Those first few beats can give off enough serotonin to power you through whatever you're going through. Yeah. A lot of people assume that song was written by Max Martin, but it was actually written by his team and his protege, Rami Yacom. Um, I think I'm pronouncing that right. But if I do, please feel free to email us or message us on Instagram. But it has a lot of the Max Martin themes within a song Mm -hmm. so it's got a super catchy hook and melody it's got two verses then a bridge and then a verse everything is there to service the melody so that includes the word choices the alliteration which helps with the flow of the song so the the way that certain vowel sounds are utilized it really helps to kind of guide the melody to flow through one thing that i think is super cool about this song that makes it even more catchy is the keyboard harmonizing with their vocal harmonies during the chorus. It is one of the coolest uses for it. But One Direction was not the first boy band to do this. And the boy band that I know that was the first to do this (laughs) is actually New Kids on the Block. There are huge parallels between Up All Night and New Kids on the Block's album, The Block, from 2008. And I know that there is, you know, a three-year difference between those two albums, but holy crap i i the new kids on the block song summertime sounds so similar to what makes you beautiful just go listen to it and (laughs) and and just listen to it for yourself one of the reasons why i think they're utilizing the keyboard to harmonize with their vocal harmonies is probably because not even louis can reach those high of a notes because those are like counter tenor notes and because they don't have the beautiful voice of Chris Kirkpatrick. They are trying to formulate that sound in other ways. So, And I think also they released this song along with the music video. And I feel like the 2010s was a, a music video era. What was social media? Like, yeah, you had TRL and like MTV where they played music videos. But that was dead by that time. Right. And then I feel like you know, between One Direction, Justin Bieber, Taylor Swift of the 2010s, music videos were almost like reinvented in a sense. Yeah, because YouTube. Exactly. YouTube became such a thing. I mean, I know that it was constantly like, they were like, oh, Justin Bieber has broken the record. One Direction has broken the record. Taylor Swift has broken the record. It was like they like went back and forth. And I think, you know, I think that just goes back to social media. I don't know if we can count YouTube as a social media. I think we do. But I think they really just kind of, leaned into the 
we do music videos and I can't listen to this song without picturing the music video in my head. They had the little uh, 60s VW Beetle van Which at is- the beach and like their outfits. Yeah. The Beatle is such a cute nod to the Beatles and the mm-hmm. 60s and them being a British boy band. Yeah. British Irish boy band. Yeah, we can't forget about our baby Niall. <laughs> One thing that I love about this song is you can immediately identify that Zane is just a powerhouse vocalist. Mm-hmm. He really shines in this song, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think this song also really showcases Harry's growth. It does. Um, because, I mean, I think he sings the bridge, right? Yeah, the bridge. Yeah. And watching him go from like a very early performance where he's like really struggling to hit the notes and his breath control to now where he like can just absolutely nail it. It's just an, it's another proud mom moment. It, it really is. And especially since, you know, he was like, you know, in one of the first performances of them doing the song, he's like shaking. Yeah. And, and like, really he's trying to like get his breath under control to like yeah. hit those lower notes. Yeah. Cause it's a deeper, it's a deeper bridge. He is a baritone, so he can hit them. He can. He and just, now he does it with ease, yeah. I think. Yeah. Oh, um, for sure. But like, it's just one of those things where like, I think it's very clear his progression as um, his talent as a singer is really evident to me in that bridge, listening to it, the original bridge to now, like when he plays it live at Coachella or something like that. I'm like, Oh my gosh. In this album, there's also a couple of really great ballads, including more than this. So good. (laughs) So it was written by Jamie Scott produced by Paul Meehan and Brian Rowling. Really lovely harmonies in this ballad. I absolutely love the synth during the chorus. Mm-hmm. And it kind of reminds me of Love in This Club by Usher. I can see that. Yeah. And also Summertime and Single by New Kids on the Block. So it, it really kind of goes to show that it was very reminiscent of the pop music during that time. But yeah, as soon as I heard it, I was like, I was like, that sounds like an Usher song. I love it. It starts off with an acoustic guitar, which is very very reminiscent of a lot of other boy band songs. Biggest example of that is I Want It That Way, where it starts off with the with a few chords from the acoustic guitar. Yeah, that's all I can really say about this song. Is there anything else you want to say? Uh, I just really like the lyrics too. Like I think there's the line, if I'm louder, would you see me? It captures that heartbreaking of, am I, am I just not being enough for you? If I became something else, would you recognize me? Would you see me? It's just such a sad thing. Mm. And I just think it's like such a heartbreaking song, but it's a really good song too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just an overall beautiful song. Okay. So the next song that we're going to talk about is tell me a lie. So this song was actually written, co-written by Kelly Clarkson, which does not shock me one bit. No, it does not. Real recognizes real. (laughs) As soon as I heard this, I was like, this sounds like a Kelly Clarkson song. This is such a Zane song. (laughs) He, packs so much power into this song it is the epitome of a zane song to me he's all over it his power note in this is just incredible and i love the keyboard throughout the song and how Mm -hmm. the guitar starts off the song but then the keyboard throughout is just beautiful and i think you catch hints of their english irish upbringing and just some of the terms they would use differently like spare me what you think that's not an american term necessarily wow which is weird because it was written by co-written by right. Kelly Clarkson. I wonder if the other co-writers were English, but I don't know, but spare me what you think and tell me a lie is not necessarily the American way you would say that in a song. But think but about again, it. you're trying to like everything's in a lyric web. 
But yeah, I it, the word spare me, it, it always got me. And I was just like, oh, interesting. But think about it. We are talking about boy band songs. Mm-hmm. The lyrics are always secondary. Everything is there yes. to service the melody. Okay, so... I don't, I didn't really have much to say about Another World. It's um, because it gets no love and I don't know why. It has the lowest streams on Spotify out of all the songs on this album. A true travesty. <laughs> the sounds, kind of the synthy sounds on this song reminds me of Telephone mm-hmm. by Lady Gaga and Beyonce. It's definitely a deep cut off this album. I think it was maybe a bonus track thrown on there, but I remember the first time I heard it immediately going to YouTube because I couldn't download it. And I think it was maybe available in the British version. I don't know. All I know is I did not have a way to access this other than a terrible YouTube audio. <laughs> and the day I found it on Spotify was God's gift to the earth. <laughs> Hearing, and this is like another Zayn song. I'm just, I'm a Zayn. I was a Zayn girl in One Direction. I really was. So any song that really featured him heavily, that that was mine. That was my jam. So you started off as a Zayn girl. I did. I have I have the Zane album because I think we talked about in maybe the intro episode of this podcast how for Take Me Home, they did five different covers, like slip covers, one with each of the guy's faces and mine is Zane's. Mm-hmm. I was a Zane girl. And then he left and I was left brokenhearted. <laughs> and now I'm a Niall girl. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to pick one. That's a fundamental of being a boy band fan. You have to have a favorite. <laughs> I know. It's so funny because, you you know, I'm I'm coming into this as an outsider, so I don't have the kind of like media or the social media bent to it. Mm -hmm. Like I'm coming into this as some like an objective person. What's it like to be objective about One Direction? I can't (laughs) relate. (laughs) You know, we talk a little bit about how big they were. They've smashed so many records. They've won over 200 awards, never a Grammy. But that is an argument I will take up with the Recording Academy on a different day. But I feel like for some reason, I can't see how big they were because I was in it. I was in it from day one. I'm still in it. I will be there until they officially say there's no extra One Direction coming. I've been in it for so long that I can never see how big they truly were. Mm. It's interesting, though, because if you look at it, it's hard to kind of compare how big they were in comparison to how big Backstreet Boys and NSYNC were. Because in terms of album sales, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC sold way more albums than them. But in terms of streams, Mm -hmm. in terms of streams, they're one of the biggest acts ever. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to kind of compare them because they were just, they were different generations. We're going to need to fact check this, but I read somewhere that they were the most profitable boy band of all time. Like they had made the most money of all time. I always thought that that was New Kids on the Block because of their merchandise. No. But maybe New Direction kind of took it. One Direction, not New Direction. What is this, Glee? <laughs> Wait, did I say New Direction? Yeah. Uh-oh. I w- oh, maybe I think I was trying to say maybe One Direction took it in a new direction. <laughs> yeah. And just upped the merch. And it, it's so interesting, though, because if you compare the sales between One Direction and Jonas Brothers, Jonas Brothers were not Mm-mm. anywhere near One Direction's status the other thing too that was kind of against the Jonas Brothers was they were really big during the time of illegal streaming and the whole like online streaming thing that foundation that you have for Spotify granted artists do not get paid a lot for Spotify stream but if you're on the level of One Direction you're getting paid a pretty good amount but 
that wasn't in place during Jonas Brothers' time, during mm-hmm. their peak time. Of course, they're back together now, but their profits were like pennies compared to One Direction's. Mm-hmm. Just interesting. Just not the same. Yeah. And I think that's also why both Cece and I, being a little bit older, we didn't really recognize Jonas Brothers as much. And, mm-hmm. But we were like, oh my God, this One Direction, it's boy bands are big again, but really like Jonas Brothers. And there were a couple others before them, but we just... They just weren't on our radar because they just weren't as big. Yeah, I definitely think One Direction was the biggest boy band since NSYNC Backstreet Boys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, definitely that, the biggest since those two. Oh, yeah. I mean, and you that, talk about your heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. You're going to have NSYNC Backstreet Boys, One Direction, New Kids on the Block. And now BTS. Well, and now BTS. Well, actually, RIP BTS. Yeah. Geez. Sorry, guys. Welcome to the club. Permanent hiatus. <laughs> it's a breakup. I hate to tell you this. It's awful over here. Just monitor the did BTS reunite today Twitter account and find some solace in knowing that One Direction is with you. 